My name is Manny, and you're listening to Conservation Conversations. On today's episode, we're hearing an interview by Dr. Dominic McAfee of the University of Adelaide. His work and research centers on the recovery of lost ecosystems, which seeks to understand and leverage the ecological and social complexities of recovering marine ecosystems. Today, he's interviewing Burke Beatty, a 29-year-old dive instructor and web designer from North Carolina. Burke is a dear friend of mine. We met back in 2017 when we started working at a dive shop together back in the United States. He recently moved to Coffin Bay, South Australia, from San Diego, California. Burke came to help us with this oyster reef restoration project and to experience a new place. This was recorded on September 13th, 2023, at the Coffin Bay Scuba Shopfront on a very windy day. Please enjoy the following conversation with Dom and Burke. So what I'm interested in doing is telling the human story as well as the ecological one. Um, so basically, we've been using this process to talk to politicians and uh, people who have been involved in the restorations, but also people who are not involved in the restorations and, um, and have never heard of them, just to capture various perceptions of, uh, of coastal restoration. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine it's pretty universally positive. You think so, <laughs> and by by and large it is. But a lot of people see restoration as a waste of time, as a smoke screen for a political distraction for not taking actual action on climate change and things like that. Um, yes, that's fair. So yeah, that's that's a really relevant uh, relevant point. But it depends on who your audience is, mm-hmm. and at the local scale, you know. Restoration is extremely relevant. At a global scale, talking about restoration relative to action on climate change is not so relevant. Yeah. Uh, we're not at the scale yet where we can just restore massive areas to dampen the impact of climate change, but you know, maybe we will be in time. Uh, but yeah, also a lot of people are just innately wary, fearful even of government regulation and very much so in the fishing community. Mm-hmm. So they see these restoration projects as a potential for them to be locked out of something. But that's mainly a sort of misinterpretation or, or a lack of communication about what these re- restorations are. Primarily, wholly positive because it's about resource creation. Yeah. It's about bringing back ecosystems. So would you mind just briefly saying your name and, and how you've come to be here and be interested in this restoration project. Yeah, uh, so Burke Beatty, um, I got interested in this because Manny reached out to me and explained that uh, where he was, he explained about how oysters were such a big part of the community and then he actually sent me your TED talk Mm. and it was really just him kind of showing me what was happening. It was not do you want to come help with this or anything? It was just, this is what I'm doing. Um, and I was at a spot in my life where I was looking to be more connected to where I was. And I was very jealous of the fact that Manny was doing something that was seemingly so impactful. And after watching your TED talk um, and realizing that it was something that I was skill-wise suited to actually help, and had an in with, I uh, 
thought about it for a while. I think he told me, I don't know how many months before I ever decided or even asked about coming down here. Um, and just kind of kept mulling over my brain. I was bragging about him to my friends, talking about how it was so cool what he was doing and everything. Um, and then eventually I found myself kind of just wondering why I wasn't a part of it. <laughs> I thought, you know what, why would I not go down and try to help? And so I reached out to Manny and asked him, and he was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and kind of explained what he would be doing and to a brief extent. And through that, uh, I just kind of decided to go for it. Mm -hmm. And um, when I first got down here, the first couple days, there was the whole culture shock of, it was just the right call. Uh, and then the, mo the turning point so far has been watching the presentation again. And that, seeing the community involvement and everything, and seeing everybody kind of rally together was really the icing on the cake that solidified, yes, this was the right call, this is where I want to be. Um, and it's a weird feeling. It's a weird feeling being so out of your element, but at the same time, more comfortable than I was before, because when someone asks, what are you doing down there? I can confidently say, I'm helping restore the oysters, which mm. is a dream come true. Mm. It's obviously something that seems to be really important to you. Something that was interesting that stood out there for me was uh, you wanted to feel a connection to, to place. Yeah. And to feel a connection to place, you've, you've moved from the other side of the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of, the, of the world. Could you provide a bit of context about the, your where you were, etc. Yeah, so uh, if you can't tell by the accent, I'm from America, just for the people in the recording. Um, and I grew up on the East Coast, went to college, went, grew up in North Carolina, went to college up in Maine, um, then started diving in Honduras, then went to Hawaii, then Colorado, North Carolina, back to California, now to California. And so, Although I'm from the U.S., there was not really a home base for me, and I was kind of searching for a place that I wanted to set roots, and uh, just never really quite found it. And when I was in San Diego, um, there's a lot of really cool aspects about San Diego. It's there's big surfing culture. Um, there's a lot of young people. It was there was always kind of something to do, but being such a large place you kind of get drowned in all the people. I would see hundreds of people a day, but I'd have meaningful conversations or interactions with one or two. Mm -hmm. And so uh, growing where I grew up was a small town and about the size of Port Lincoln. And uh, the kind of place where you can walk around and not everybody knows who you are, but you'll run into somebody you know. And I didn't realize at the time like how valuable that was to me. And that's something that being in San Diego, I was really kind of feeling I didn't, all my neighbors were Airbnbs. So it was constant. There was nobody besides my roommate that was like consistent when I wake up and say hello. Um, and it just kind of felt like, I, even though I lived there for two years, I was still just kind of visiting. Um, and so, Manny describing to me about the area and kind of how small it was, it 
at first he was coming from a sense of like don't let it scare you like kind of be like it's fine because um, I imagine most people would hear how small it was and be like oh it's too small for me but eventually I think he started to realize that that's what I was wanting was that I mean already I walk around town and you know being one of the two Americans definitely helps but people know my name already and it's uh, it's a really comforting feeling and uh, we go been at Manny's house for dinners and stuff and it's just the, the sense of community that has kind of been lost for me since like growing up is something that the Oyster Project as well as the location is kind of it's really early but it's giving me a glimpse of that again and it's feelings that were, have been foreign to me for a while that are now resurfacing which is great yeah great Welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I, I hope you're here for a long time. Um, could you tell me about your experience in conservation, uh, uh, conservation-related activities, and how you sort of first got involved with conservation-related stuff? Um, so, to be honest, not a ton. Uh, when I was growing up, my mom loved volunteering. That was a big thing for her, um, but it was never conservation volunteering. It was something that's called, I don't know if it's, we, they have it here, it's called Meals on Wheels. It's yeah, just, there you go. Yeah, so she loved doing that. So every weekend we'd do that. Nice. And I hated it. As a kid, I hated it. My weekend, my few days off, I had to go around and help people. I didn't, I didn't understand at the time. Um, and then in school, the university I went to, um, you had to be a part of some form of community give, like giving back. Um, and so for me, that was, I would go to local elementary schools and basically be like a PE teacher during recess. And so yet again, not conservation, but giving back. And then right after college, I got into diving and the dive shop that I worked at in, on Roatan in Honduras, um, they had a coral farm. And so that was the first taste of like actual environmental, um, I guess, restoration I got. And we would just go out and clean the algae off of the Elkhorn coral. And every once in a while we got to replant some. Mm. Um, and yet again, kind of took it for granted. I assumed that's what all dive shops do. And I was like, oh yeah, like, this is great. But you know, I'd rather be diving than scraping off coral, getting the little crustaceans in your wetsuit and all that. So. Uh, never really felt like too much passion about that and then in Hawaii when I was working there that's when I felt the biggest loss of that sense of responsibility towards the environment um, because as much as the local peoples are very involved in that the diving industry is not the diving industry is very tourism based and it's just kind of like a cattle many people in and out as you can and you just take them down to these basically dead reefs over and over and over again you try to help make sure they don't kick things but it's really about limiting your harm rather than providing any good and so that was something that I really noticed when I was working there and it kind of once I left Hawaii um, I just kind of took it on myself to like every day walk the beach because I always live at the beach and just pick up trash and everyone would it was amazing how many people told me that you know it's a band-aid on a bullet hole it's not doing anything but you know 
what else am I supposed to do? I didn't have access to somebody like May or like you to kind of give me the direction of like be the guide where I can just be the hands-on person that helps with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so really coming down here, this is, since being in Honduras, this is the first major involvement I've, I've had. And so that's super, super exciting because I have a very odd set of skills that I've developed and it works for this. Mm. So, but yeah, this is really the first serious thing that I'm going to borrow. Cool. Cool. I'm really interested to hear about your experience working in conservation um, as a means of spending time in, in, in nature and comparing that to your experience surfing, for example, because you obviously love to surf, so you're somebody who spends a lot of time in nature, which is really beneficial, great for your well-being, physical, mental. Um, so I'll be interested to hear in time whether or not that being in nature, but then having that sense of giving something back, whether that sort of changes your experience and, and sense of well-being. Um, that would be that would be fascinating. Um, tell me about oyster reefs. What do you know about oyster reefs? Very little. What did you know before? Very, you... uh, <laughs> I knew nothing before Manny sent me your TED talk. Not a thing. <laughs> I knew that I could oysters. I could take them or leave them in terms of a food. Hang on. You're from North Carolina? I am, yes. It's an oyster mecca. I'm from the middle of the state. Uh, I'm from what's called the Piedmont. So three hours to the beach, three hours to the mountains. Uh, you know, you play your basic sports, you know, soccer, football, baseball. Yeah. And there's not much of a connection to the environment. Uh, so diving. Uh, North Carolina is the mecca for diving as well. That's where Dan, the Divers Alert Network, is based at Duke University. Uh, Duke University is like one of the leading research like, universities for diving in general. And I didn't dive until I was 16 or 17, and I dove in the Caribbean, not in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. North Carolina's got a lot of really awesome things that I had no connection to growing up. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's interesting because um, obviously I've spent too much time reading about oysters and, and oyster restoration and our cultural connection to them and uh, Chesapeake and North Carolina that, that, that part of the world is the is where the most examples come from um, you know they've been interacted with all over the world but there's I guess a lot more documentation there uh, so you know you make assumptions that people have an idea <laughs> <laughs> About, about what's happening in their backyard. But that's a big backyard you're talking about. Yeah. Know, 300 kilometers from, from the coast. True. Yeah. Um, and uh, one the, the first I ever heard of the fact that oysters were, the oyster reefs were so you know, ubiquitous was um, from the TED Talk. And then after that, I don't know if my phone was listening or they, you know, were recording my history, but I mean, I got all the information about like the York Restoration Project, where they're doing like the billion oysters that you're talking about, um, and then I, so I started looking at the maps that you showed of how they were kind of everywhere, and then my brain started going like, oh, so if if this works out here, then I can go back to these places that I've lived before, and this will apply there as well. You know, Maine, North Carolina, California, Hawaii, like it would be fantastic. So 
Yeah, but no, very, very little information. Um, I understood what oysters were, like as a filter feeder, so I understood their benefit, mm-hmm. but I did not know their connection to human history. That's, uh, I love history, and anytime I can learn something new about like why humans are the way they are is always exciting. Um, makes you feel a little less alien, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, learning about the fact that these were primary food sources for humans in all these various stretches of the planet is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And so that, that caught my eye, but to be honest then, I've been, ever since I agreed to come down here, it's been such a mess of like logistics and figuring everything out that my mindset was, once I get down here and I get hands-on, this is when I'm gonna dedicate all my time and energy to like learning about this. Mm. So I'm a, I'm a first year student. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll, uh, I'll ask one more, one more question, which I ask everyone. Um, and you're, you're a pretty, you know, you're a young guy, spend a lot of time in nature, you've seen different parts of the world, you've seen small conservation projects emerge and also felt a detachment from nature at different times. And uh, so I'm wondering, when you think about the future, how pessimistic or optimistic are you about the prospects of um, prospects for the planet and for something like marine restoration to have an important role? So uh, it's good I didn't get asked this question a few months ago, <laughs> um, but uh, I understand that we're in a, in my mind we're in a situation where we are yes in a lot of instances to use the phrase again we're putting a band-aid on a bullet hole it's there's a lot of larger issues at stake um, that this is not going to solve but I also know that if we just look at it from a if you're not solving it all why try it try even try Mm perspective then nothing will ever get better and I've seen firsthand just from me spending two hours picking up trash on the beach the difference that it makes mentally to walk out to that sand and just see just sand and that's so rare especially in a place like San Diego I mean you walk up the beach you can't go 10 steps without seeing a piece of trash and it ruins your mindset. It makes you feel like, oh, well, it's, it's, there's too much. You could never get all of this trash. Every time a storm comes in, you get more of it. So why would I even try? Um, but even if it's not going to do anything in the, grand, in the grand scheme of things, short term, it does. You know, it, it makes an impact that you can see and you can feel. Um, and giving people the giving people the tools to help, like as I referred to earlier about how Manny connected me with this, and so now you have been giving us the tools and the knowledge that is very specific and takes years and years and a specific person to accumulate so that I can go out and go on a basic dive, something that is not a very challenging skill, and start to aim that towards helping. And I think that small projects like this that can connect people who don't feel they're qualified enough to be associated with it are massive because we oftentimes forget that humans are part of the environment and the idea that everything that we do is fighting the environment is 
such a short-sighted view of how humans exist, in my opinion. And we have tons of examples of different cultures um, maintaining environments in certain ways so that it's beneficial for everyone involved. And so I think that if we can kind of show people that are like myself, who felt so disconnected from it, who didn't grow up thinking that we had an impact, that thought that we were fighting the elements at all times, to show them that simple behavioral changes, simple mindset, simple mindset changes, simple things you can do regularly can actually change your environment in a way that helps you and everything around instead of just feeling like a burden on the planet. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's, with people, that, especially my friends that I've spoken to back home, that's kind of the feeling right now is you're constantly being bombarded with like, oh, you shouldn't use this because it's going to harm in this way. You shouldn't do this because it harms in this way. And you're, you're like, but what about, you know, the big oil companies? And so there's this always like everything is so negative about the environment that it feels like you can't win. And I mean, we're here, so why not try? <laughs> you, know? Mm. you know, we were born at this time. It's not our fault. But at this point, you know, all you can do is try to make it better. And I'm by no means in trying to guilt trip anybody and say, like, everybody needs to do their part. I'm 29. I'm just getting into my first real conservation thing. But I think it's also part of it. Like, it's never too late. You can do, if a lot of people will think that, oh, I can't, I could never be a part of something. I can never help. It just takes one person that has, like, the drive and the initiative. And then there's a million people who have been waiting to get tapped on the shoulder. So. Brilliant response. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I really, really enjoyed that. Thanks for listening to the first episode of Conservation Conversations. If you enjoyed that, please consider following us on Spotify to stay up to date with upcoming updates about the project, as well as more interviews with people involved in shellfish restoration work. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Coffin Bay Scuba Co., and you can reach us via DM there. We'll be launching the website real soon, where we'll be posting regular updates and articles about reviving Coffin Bay's lost oyster reefs, so stay tuned with that. We acknowledge the Nauvoo people, the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded, and we'd like to pay respects to elders past and present. Thanks.